0: At the film 7 in 7 awkwardly cut up pieces. I'm your host, Darren, and today I have two guests. First of all is Alice. Hello, Alice. Hi! And Curtis. Hello, Curtis. <laughs> today we are going to be discussing uh, the part of the film that includes LUST, uh, which goes from 120 to 127.34 if you are watching it on PAL, or if you're American, 123.36 to 131.23. And we start just as the phone call from John Doe has finished. Uh, we're still in John Doe's apartment and um, you know the detectives are looking around trying to figure out who the next victim is going to be now that John Doe has moved up his schedule. And uh, they they see uh, a possible victim and they also are led to a leather shop where a guy has constructed something which we do not see. Uh, we, we simply see drawings and, uh, and a Polaroid that are passed between the detectives and the uh, owner of the shop. Um, who, you know, he confesses that when he made it, he thought it was for some kind of performance art. Um, And then we get to the club where the crime of lust has taken place. Um, We don't see the victim, which is a first in this film. We merely see the perpetrator, um, who is played by Leland Orser, and who is hyperventilating at what has just happened. Um, And then we cut to him in the precinct being questioned, um, and then after that, we get the detectives in the bar having a bit of a discussion um, before we finish our part of the film.
1: I mean, th- this was just, just in general. This was my first time seeing this movie. I just saw it for the first time a few days ago. So just I'm still kind of trying to process what the heck I just saw, because um, I could not sleep.
2: I saw this uh, I saw this film in the theater when it came out, but I read the book first, and uh I don't know. I've just always been fascinated with this with this movie. I haven't given a real close watching uh, in quite a few years, but it was it was a fun time watching it again last night.
0: There's a little bit of uh, there's some stuff that's kind of cut out here because um, you know there's some stuff with Tracy and there's some stuff with John Doe, um, who was kind of like following um, the detectives around after being discovered, um, and also just kind of wandering around the city um, before perpetrating more crimes. Uh, you know, some of that stuff was in the script, uh, the original script that was kind of cut out and, and as the script was kind of trimmed down and, and the film was a, a bit more kind of streamlined. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because in the script, um, the originally Pride came before Lust. Um, so they kind of saved this one um, as kind of like the final sin before the, the end of the film. Um, and we get the final two sins, of course. Um, So it's interesting that, uh, you know, in the actual finished film, they've decided to move this up. um, And also, uh, kind of, it's interesting how, kind of, almost how little of it we really get to see on screen. Um, You know, it's mostly all in the performance of Leland Orser as the person who has perpetrated this this murder, um, you know, at gunpoint um, with John Doe. (laughs) And, you know, his kind of reaction to what had happened and we kind of see the, the kind of the equipment that John Doe had made um, and I'm guessing it was probably at the leather shop and he went and picked it up, you know, once the detectives had caught up to him and then he decided this was the time to, um, you know, perpetrate this particular sin. Um uh, And I'm not, I mean, I don't even, I'm not even quite sure why he chose Leland Orsa. Um, it's telling that when they get to the club, one of the guys there is like, everyone comes in here with like a bag of things. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's not like that's something different. Uh, like, you know, you're not going to be noticed for bringing in a bag with equipment in, basically. Um, given how graphic the whole kind of stuff with um, Sloth was, it's kind of weird, it's, I don't know, I guess it's it's kind of appropriate that that, that we don't really get, to, we don't get to see the perpetration of this crime, uh, we don't get to see what's happened at the end of this crime, and we only get to see, kind of, um, Leland Orsa, Um And also, you know, there's like a, a brief kind of like picture of what Leland Orsa was forced to wear to perpetrate the crime, and that's, you know, it's it, like, the film gets very, I, I mean, I'm going to guess it was for ratings reason, but the film kind of gets a bit more coy- um, about what happened with this particular sin, uh, more so than the others. Even the next sin is fairly kind of graphically demonstrated, um, you know. Whereas this is is just kind of just done very quickly in a few kind of you know little tiny pictures here and there. It's not really anything full on.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that that really speaks to a lot of you know we're so I don't want to say good with violence, but you know with you know rated R things and you know that. Basically, we're we're okay with with violence, but like sexuality is still this kind of taboo sort of. We don't want to see too much in the club. We don't want to, you know, see. I mean, even like sex scenes, like we don't like 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 that. Like like that was the tipping point. Not you know sloth. Not the disgusting gore that we've seen throughout this this film and after. But it was the sexuality, you know, piece of it that I think was so interesting that. They, they couldn't show, I mean not I mean not that I would want to see anything gruesome. That sounds like a terrifying way to die. But you know, just that we we couldn't even see any kind of sexuality because that would be pushing the envelope. You know.
2: Well, let me ask you guys this. I'm a uh, I'm a courtroom reporter, and I've seen a lot of autopsy photos in my life. And uh, we were covering a case where a son had stabbed his mother 56 times in the head with a screwdriver and prior to uh seeing the autopsy photos during the during the trial you know we would occasionally talk about that what that must like look you know look like and imagine what that must look like and then when they actually showed the photos the impression was that it just wasn't it, it didn't seem as as gruesome as we imagined it might be. And I'm thinking so so I'm thinking so I'm approaching it from this perspective, them leaving it to my imagination. I think my imagination is a lot more gruesome and able to fill in some details about what that must have ended up looking like rather than just a picture of someone with a hole. With like a bloody a bloody hole in them. Because at that point. At that point we're just battling against the. Does this look real to me or not. And you know. Like really. Really how bad could that look compared to what I'm imagining. Looking at that photo. And then watching. Uh, what's his name? What's that actor's name? Watching his. Watching his performance of. Of how that went down. And his description of it. I think. This wasn't about not wanting to show sex on screen. I think this was about being more effective.
1: Yeah, or 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 both potentially in in separate ways. But but yeah, I think that 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 is a good point. I think when I was reading about it, it's almost like Psycho that you it, like you said it's what you imagine happened um, versus what you know what what's really happening. Um, oh gosh. At a point, and no, I'm forgetting my
2: point. Well, especially when you have got a one of the victims left alive to be able to describe it in such horrific detail, or with such you know emotion. Whereas none of the other none of the other victims of of the killer were left alive to just well you know one of them was, but could really we we couldn't have a scene with them where they talk about it. We had to go see it
1: that's true yeah someone will be talking about it yeah
0: yeah i mean i guess it obviously it works uh you know as like you know both it it doesn't get the film um you know to have to make cuts you know obviously the MPAA clearly were fine with just um you know the occasional quick shot of of like the equipment that was put onto um you know the 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 Orsa during the scene um and also uh yeah it does speak to a kind of prudishness that like you know everyone's fine with seeing um you know the the other victims in the film who have mostly been you know like stabbed or or killed or you know fed to death or starved to death whichever way it is um but in this particular case you know sh- not showing the like the outcome of of what this particular equipment did to this woman is probably more horrifying than actually just straight up showing it
1: yeah oh yeah i i, I remember when i when i was um you know, trying to get myself to sleep, and I was like, ah, you know, as my, as my dad used to say to me about, you know, any action movie or whatever, oh, it's, it's just ketchup, you know, it's not blood, it's just ketchup, you know. And so you think, oh, well, it's just ketchup, it's, it's not real, it was really, really good makeup, it was really, this was really that. But right, as you were saying, I've not, I have nothing to compare it to that. I guess, I think that's why it psychologically, you know, works on people. That what's, what's unseen is maybe even worse.
0: Um, and I mean, I think for uh, obviously for clarity's sake, we should describe or at least I'll attempt to describe what seems to be, have been strapped onto him. Um, basically, it seems like it's a, a, a kind of a strap on with like a leather belt um, and then a knife on the end, which obviously, you know, um, I, I mean, I think John Doe's idea of what these particular sins are sometimes doesn't kind of work with the, the method that he uses. Um, like, I don't know if this is really the way that you would kill someone who is lustful, like, or if really Leela Norse's character is lustful, one would say, or I, I I don't know. Like, I feel like there's some kind of fudging a little bit of exactly whether or not these people have committed the sins, like the person who died, like, was she lustful? Uh,
1: Yeah, Um, probably both. I would say anyone kind of at that club, I I guess, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, to to be frank about it, if you're hoping for a penis to go in and it's a knife, like that's your quote unquote punishment for lust. I mean, I I mean, it's I don't even know it's a good punishment. I don't know how to like say that, but like it's not a good punishment. But it's a good punishment if you're a psycho.
0: <laughs> and, and I think I think what's interesting, particularly about this little stretch of the film. Um, obviously it's just the idea that John Doe um is, you know, maybe improvising. like obviously with uh, with sloth, he spent like a year planning it with um with you know, gluttony. he spent at least a, a few days kind of like feeding him and then going back out and getting more food and then coming back again. So um like with with this, it seems like kind of a snap decision that he's just decided to quickly, you know execute this particular you know like sin like he already had the equipment made up and it just like the, he picks a random guy and a random woman and you know like or maybe i mean obviously we see from the photo that's in the apartment that maybe he had an idea that this was the woman that he wanted to um you know murder in this way but like maybe he was thinking of setting it up a bit you know maybe a bit a bit more kind of um subtlety or I don't know. It just it just feels like obviously he said now that he's going to have to move up his schedule. And so, you know, there's a little bit, you know, from now to the end of the film, you know, we get sins at a quicker pace than we did. You know, in the in the previous kind of hour, we had like two sins and in the next kind of 30 minutes, we'll pretty much get through the rest. Um, So it's kind of interesting that John Doe is like almost improvising, but obviously he's already put some thought into this particular sin. Uh, to be honest with you, the next sin feels like the the most kind of just improvised, basically. <laughs> he just seems to have picked some random person and just, you know, executed that sin. Whereas here, at least he's had the, the kind of the equipment made up. And so obviously there's a little bit of thought being put into it. Uh, but obviously, it, it, you know, it's not on the timeline that he originally would have planned. Um, well, you know. let's, and, uh, let's, when... let's talk about that a little
2: bit. Was he... Go for it. Is it your impression that he was trying to execute these in a particular order? Obviously envy and wrath need to be executed in a very specific order. In the movie the they were changed around and even the characters mentioned that something came before what was it? I'll
0: get it here. Pride comes before lust, I think is Pride. It's in the in the film it does. And they they, yeah there is it's funny because in the script which is a lot longer than the film ever was and has a lot of kind of extraneous scenes that were clearly cut out and even a few characters that were removed. Right. There is this thing where the detectives try to figure out the order in which the sins are going to take place and they kind of they kind of indicate oh well you know the this sin must be first because of this and then they, they kind of talk it through and lay it out and they decide that the next sin is going to be pride because of this reason and then it will be lust and then it will be you know like M- so they they do kind of try and put some framework on it in the script but in the film there's no indication that these are being carried out in a particular order other than the fact that sloth obviously was the first one that he started planning Um and obviously because the, uh, the, the lawyer is um uh, was the lawyer for the victim of Sloth. That was obviously also planned out as well. Um, It doesn't feel like gluttony is connected to either of those two people, just that, you know, that's probably... Also, you know, gluttony seems to have been found almost at random, like... When we get to that crime scene, it just seems to have been, you know, someone has noticed something and they've called the police. and Not that it was called in or anything. Uh, Whereas, obviously, once he commits the the pride uh, killing, he calls it in himself. So so he then, obviously, at this point, his schedule's been changed completely. So he kind of has to call that one into the cops. And, you know, just due to the nature of Lust, I think that just gets called in by somebody at the club anyway. So, um, yeah, it doesn't feel like John Doe's got a specific order.
2: Lust was going to be a very quick kill fall within the timeline of what was going on elsewhere with the other sins that he was that he was punishing um i don't know if it wasn't planned ahead of time so much as it was just it just needed to be executed at an exact time you know within within these few days
0: i mean we like obviously when we get when we go to the leather shop it's clear that he you know uh, i mean obviously this is this is not something that was improvised this is something that was you know purchased and you know made specifically so um, you know, once we we're at the leather shop, it's clear that he, you know, there was already some thought that had been put into this particular sin, um, and like you say, it was just a matter of whenever he picked up, you know, uh, that particular equipment, and then carried the the, the sin out. Well, yeah, um, but and then it was
2: know. a it was a matter of finding the right person to do it, finding a way into the into the uh, what's the name of the massage parlor, the hot house, finding his way yeah. in and. Like, you know, I'm thinking about this. Like, how would this have gone down? He's he's at the massage parlor. There's some kind of... Surely there's some kind of, you know, vetting process where you go in and you... And you get on a schedule to go in and see someone. I don't think you just go in a room and lay there and then someone randomly shows up, would you? I've never been to a... You know, to what they call a rub and tug, so I don't really know, like, how that would work. I...
0: I... <laughs> I have no experience myself either but but i I, but I, don't I have to imagine maybe...
2: there is some sort of choice you get like hey, I don't you know want you know the blonde chick that looks like a mom, I want the eighteen year old
0: whatever you know whatever your choices are and so, yeah and he he ha he had the he had the picture up in his apartment, so obviously he'd already chosen the the victim. I think he probably just waited for whoever the next like whoever the next client she was had. Like maybe he, as soon as that person came in, then obviously he puts the gun to him and forces him to do what he did.
2: Okay, that makes Um, more sense to me then. Then then plausibly what might have happened is he went in and then after a certain amount of time, maybe the the person running the place was just like, well, it's been a long time. She must be free. I'll send next guy in.
0: I would think John Doe hid probably in the room or maybe threatened her with a gun to stay quiet and then just waited for her next client to come in and then, um, you know, obviously then carried it out. And, right. Um, uh, uh, and I, I, yeah. So I mean, I mean that's how I've always imagined that it, that it went down. That he just basically went in before Leland Orser and then just waited for Leland Orser to come in to to you know become the the murderer. That makes sense. Um, in this, yeah. Um, and then I think what's interesting as well is I mean there's a I I don't know if this is meant to be a deliberate mention but obviously we have uh, Wild Bill and his uh, his his leather shop and. Um, He when asked like why he wasn't suspicious about this, um, you know, strap on knife, um, he mentions that he thought it was for some kind of performance art. Um, And he specifically says, uh, you know, those people who go on stage and then like drink their own piss. Uh, And I think this is meant to be like a kind of uh, a reference to a guy called Bob Flanagan, um, who was the subject of a, a documentary called Sick. Uh, the life and death of Bob Flanagan, super masochist. And he was a p- person who would, uh, I, d- I mean, I, d- I don't know that I can describe everything that he ever did, but basically he would kind of torture himself, um, mostly revolving around his genitalia, like hanging things from it. Um, and he was kind of well known for this, um, you know, the documentary obviously brought him to kind of wider acclaim, but he was quite well known in the 80s for doing this. Um, and he appeared in um, one video for Nine Inch Nails where he was like um, this kind of uh, person who gets like strapped to a table and then basically um, torn apart in various different ways um, until there's nothing left of him at the end. Um, and so I I don't know if if like that reference to a performance artist who does that kind of thing is meant to be like a reference to Bob Flanagan. But if it, I mean, it feels like at the time when this film came out, I, I certainly when I heard that, I certainly thought of oh, Bob Flanagan. Um, and I and it kind of, you know, it, I, I don't know that he ever did what is described in the film, uh, but I know that he like certainly the stuff that he did on on stage was kind of um, viewed as kind of very extreme. And he was just well known for being this kind of uh, performance artist, basically. Um, and, you know, he, he, he actually died, um, you know, in 1996, the year that, um, that, that um, Seven came out um and you know by the time the uh, the documentary about him came out he would you know which was like the the following uh, the following year um you know he was already kind of uh, kind of you know he was already he'd already been dead for quite a while um he had cystic fibrosis which kind of was uh, towards the end it was kind of you know getting um a lot worse and that was probably one of the reasons why he kind of did some of the things that he did um on stage um but yeah, I don't know. I I think um, Bob Flanagan's kind of like an interesting guy. And it's weird how the, the kind of the guy in the leather shop kind of almost says it sarcastically. Um, but obviously, um, I mean, I guess it's kind of running down the entire performance artists all, <laughs> all in one go. Um, but but, you know, I could kind of, at the same time, it's like, well, I mean, it's it's I don't know. It's a very kind of like 90s thing to have a performance artist who would kind of um create something that might cause some kind of like pain or torture
1: that definitely sounds plausible i also think that maybe it also could in a sense i don't want to say humanize but we'll say humanize john doe in a sense because kind of like well we're all crazy we're all sentence you know kind of this very like universal you know well i mean it's probably performance i don't know i don't know what these people do people do what they do you know
0: yeah i was gonna <laughs> say kind of,
1: kind of feel there as well
0: obviously a guy kind of making stuff um you know in the, you can see all the stuff that's in his shop um it does feel like he is making it for a particular kind of community and obviously i don't think um he would get very far if every single person who came in with a request he immediately was like oh i'm not making that like, I, I think, you know, he, he he obviously understands that there is a kind of kink community that is into leather and he obviously knows that's where his money comes from. So he's not going to kind of dismiss um, any customers who come in with odd requests. He's just basically going to, you know, make make whatever they want and kind of do it to the highest standards, because obviously he's a bit annoyed when Somerset and Mills take his Polaroid of what he's made because he's like, hey, like, you know, like he's obviously spent a lot of time making that. And he was quite proud of the finished product. And then he's just like, hey. You know the picture, and it's it's, and I kind of love how as they leave, he's like, "fucking pigs," like he's a, he's a, mm-hmm. It's just kind of a nice little touch that it's like this is a guy who is proud of his work, and they've stolen like his only evidence of the finished product now, and he's you know he's kind of annoyed that they've done Aww. that. him uh, he, obviously he's he's not realizing that you know a crime has been perpetrated using it. Um, <laughs> wild Wild Bill, the Hank Hill of, uh, <laughs> the Hank Hill of
2: S and M. Selling propane and propane accessories.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. Guy, guy's not in the business for jackets and belts.
2: <laughs> during this, during the scene when they're in the, in the leather shop, they're playing uh, Gravity Kills' "Guilty" song. Have you guys looked or read the lyrics to that song? No. 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 The the uh, the lyrics are kind of, like, really hitting the nail on the head, or or maybe overly obvious. I don't know. But it's, you know, behind closed doors, your words ring hollow. You're killing me, I'm killing you. The time is wrong, the time is right. Be careful who you kill tonight. You know, uh, I'm guilty, I'm guilty too. Are we... It it sounds like if you're saying that Wild Bill is a tribute to this guy that did this kind of stuff back then, maybe this is commentary on, uh, on him from the filmmaker.
0: Oh, I don't know that that Wild Bill is like Bob Flanagan, but I think when he says performance artists, what he's describing is at the time, you know, Bob Flanagan is is kind of like a well-known BDSM performance artist. So it feels like that's what he's kind of, like he's saying, you know, someone like Bob Flanagan, you know, has requested something like this before. Getting back onto this, what
2: are the odds really that this guy who has created a butcher knife that straps on where the penis should be doesn't know
0: something is up. <laughs> I I mean I don't know because it, it does feel like he's a guy who's kind of who's making stuff for a certain community, and you know the kind of the limits that the the kind of people in the BDSM community were willing to push. I I mean I don't know that anyone's strapping knives to things, but certainly you know stuff that could be um, maybe construed as causing torture. Um, would certainly be some equipment that he he's made or is certainly equipment that's in that store already um so I just I just feel like he's too much in that community to be like, oh yeah, this seems weird I think he's like this seems a little bit strange but not as strange as some of the other stuff maybe that he's made before um you know and and so he's kind of just like okay, you know it's It's kind of to him it seems a little bit more run of the mill, I guess, which is maybe why that's that's why John Doe picked him as the person to make this equipment because he was like this guy's probably not going to raise any concerns, and obviously, as the police you know walk off with his Polaroid of the the finished product he 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 doesn't seem like someone who is going to cooperate much with the police, and I think John Doe has maybe made that calculation that you know this is a guy who gets weird requests and is unlikely to call the authorities on anyone. Um, and you know, just due to the nature of of what he is, um, and, and so maybe that maybe that's just like his John Doe's calculation is like this guy is probably not going to call the police if I give him this weird thing to make, um, you know, and and I guess he was proved correct because he didn't call the police <laughs> when he made it, um, you know. It it took the actual execution of that particular equipment for somebody to call the police, you know, like it took a death before. Um, so I think maybe John Doe's made the calculation that he knows this guy is not going to kind of, you know, immediately call him into the police. Well,
2: so let's talk about this. What's the name of the actor that uh, plays the plays the guy that was the instrument in killing the, the masseuse?
0: Oh, Leland Dorsa, the guy who's hyperventilating. Dorsa. Well, first of all,
2: is this guy this good of an actor everywhere or is this a, this a one-time performance for him? What what's he famous for?
0: Oh, Lee, I mean, well, Leland Orser is famous for being this guy in Seven for a start, <laughs> um, uh, but also he was he was also in uh, Very Bad Things, um, um, okay. and he was in Alien Resurrection. Interestingly enough, um, uh, like that's of, right. Oh, okay. Private
1: Ryan.
0: Yeah, yeah. and Saviour Pri- Private Private Ryan. I th- I can't. I think he was like the guy who couldn't. Sh- I think the Germans kind of come up on him. They ambush him, and he can't shoot them. And then they go off and they kill somebody, um, and he obviously feels uh, guilty for that. Um, and then, uh, he, interestingly, um, having having played a, a you know like a, a victim here of a, a serial killer um, in the film The Bone Collector, he was the killer, um, uh, and in that obviously he stars with Denzel Washington. And Denzel Washington was in consideration for the Brad Pitt part in this uh, in this film. Um, yeah. So, um, but I mean, like those are the films that I kind of know him from, Um, you know, uh, I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff on TV since Uh, he was a regular on ER for like five years (laughs) as playing uh, Dr. Uh, Debenko. Um, And then he's, you know, he's been in a a lot of kind of like TV stuff um, in the last kind of few years, Um, most notably Ray Donovan. Uh, where he played a priest who I think got murdered by Ray Donovan, probably. I don't know. One of the Donovans in that in that series. Um, but yeah, for to kind of get the hyperventilation correctly before each before he started each scene, he would um, use like an oxygen tank to take and take huge gulps of oxygen so that when they kind of started shooting, he was like already kind of hyperventilating. Um, Uh, And you know, I think also David Fincher kind of described what you know he had done, and then Leland Orser is kind of relaying back David Fincher's descriptions of what's happened, Um, and that's kind of what makes it so. uh, I don't know. It's a really, it's it's such a memorable kind of performance. And like you say, he's the only person left alive, um, aside from the final kind of victim, let's say, um, in the entire film, to kind of be able to tell the tale of how the murder was carried out. Um, and so, and so I guess the fact that they don't show us the kind of aftermath of it, it kind of makes sense because you have Leland also there to describe the, the actual kind of act. Um, obviously he's not describing it in kind of any coherent sense. He's just giving you pieces of like, you know, um, but I do kind of love the way he's like, I don't know, just everything about the performance is so kind of like, um, it's, I don't know, it's very, it's very, like, uh, it feels very real, you know, like, if the, if you were kind of forced into this situation, like, Hall is, you know, oh God, oh God, oh God, like, all that kind of stuff, it's just, like, his realisation of what he's done and everything, it's just kind of, it's such a wonderful kind of performance from him, um, you know, uh, interestingly, he's been married to Jean Triplehorn since uh, the year 2000, um, uh, This and the year that Seven came out, obviously, she was in uh, Waterworld, which was a gigantic flop i think um uh it, you know i the funny thing with what world, world is i think it kind of eventually made its money back so people these days argue it wasn't a flop but it it lost a lot of money at the box office so you know we'll call it a flop um but yeah i don't know alice what do you think about uh, uh performance
2: yeah
1: i was going to say i was just reading about how he for basically forced himself to to hyperventilate and i think he stopped sleeping for a few days or so and I, I mean it was it was impressive it was very impressive
0: yeah you do kind of you do kind of feel that he has been through something um uh that's that's the kind of thing and you know this this was not like this was not like too this was like fairly early in his kind of career like he'd only been acting for a few years before this um so it's kind of interesting that uh you know this is kind of one of his earliest kind of performances uh, in terms of film um, he'd done quite a bit of TV before this point, um, but yeah, I don't. I, I mean, it, it's it, I, like out of all the obviously because we don't have the victims in the film, we only have like you know, kind of dead bodies. It's interesting to have him as the only kind of survivor in the film, um, you know. And
1: I wa- and I wonder what happened to his character after. I mean, technically, he was the killer of that woman, you know. So interesting, but but I mean, you know, even from from the end, it's doesn't matter who the killer was in that sense you know people died according to sins i think oh i remember my my boyfriend was like oh so he so he kills he, he, he didn't watch the movie and so he was like oh so he you know kills seven people i'm like wow well, uh, <laughs> i don't want to ruin it for you <laughs>
0: he, he doesn't quite kill seven people yet but I, I don't know i mean if actually i was leland orsa's um you know crazed man in massage parlor which is how he's uh, described in the script um i don't i don't know that i don't know that you could live with yourself after that like it's it's such a kind of um in fact it it's weird that john doe leaves him alive because you know i I don't know if like if i was john doe i would be like well now he's killed this person i'll just kill him and then that's it it's a loose end tied up but he, he leaves him alive and that's a i don't know if he just wants him to live with you know, the idea that this is a guy who goes to massage parlors. We don't know maybe if he's married and that's why John Doe picked him or if he's just random or, you know. So it's 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 just kind of a weird touch that he leaves him alive to kind of tell the story, basically. Um, but but
1: he, does, he, he, he does that with pride as well. I mean, if she didn't give in to her pride, you know, so to speak, you know, her narcissism, I guess, you know, and, like, she could be alive. She could very well call 911 and be alive, so interesting in that sense too
2: who really is the victim of lust because there's only one person that showed up at the hot house with lust in his heart and it wasn't the and it wasn't the sex worker
0: I, I mean obviously in the script she's she is called lust victim um but yeah maybe she is the victim of lust maybe you know yeah maybe he is he is the the you know the he's the real victim but um, yeah it's as
2: as dead as she is and as horrible as that is this guy being left alive with extreme PTSD I don't know could he be the one that was meant to be punished
1: yeah
0: yeah at the same time it feels like his cho- the choice to pick this person is a little bit more random than um, some of the other victims um so it's i i don't know it's 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 something obviously to kind of think about but yeah it's it's kind of a, a weird a weird choice to leave him alive but then again maybe that's that's obviously the design of, of what he was going to do um but
2: yeah well yeah if he would have been if he would have been killed let's see would that would that been enough would that have been enough punishment for lust because i mean at that point every everyone who's ever had sex and then been killed by a by a uh, slasher has gotten the same punishment that he has, which isn't nearly as nearly as damaging as how he's now being punished
0: yeah I mean I'd, obviously the kind of trauma of the event is more of a punishment than the death, I would say at this point, but you know I'm, well here's an
2: argument is there an argument for the sex worker being the one that's the victim that that's the intended target of the lust killing? I mean, or is she just part, Or is she just a tool?
0: Well, I mean, she was the one that he chosen and had the picture of in his apartment, so it feels like that part was planned, and obviously the you know the mechanism was planned. It feels like Leland Orser is a random choice at the end of that, due to him having to move his kind of schedule up. So um, it feels less. Well, that planned. makes a little
2: less sense. That makes a little less sense to me then, just because like she's not lustful; she's just there doing a job she's making mechanical motions you know doing mechan- performing mechanical acts on people just to make money there's no there's no emotion in that i mean maybe there is maybe she gets into it you know there's a lot of there's a lot of suggestion from from the industry that yeah you also kind of like it while you're doing it it's not all completely 100% just a job but you know we didn't see any context where we learn that she's enjoying it. So, I don't know. I, I'm kind of thinking, like, maybe for her it's just a job, and the person who's actually experiencing lust in that exchange is is, uh, is Leland.
1: That depends on what his view on sex workers are. I mean, you're saying, oh, you know, it's it's a job, it's work, that's what it is, you know, but obviously some people can think differently. I mean, I I wouldn't make the case to say that, any the other victims were, you know, he was humanizing them and killing them. He probably saw them all as sins. But I also feel like maybe, you know, sometimes people just see, you know, sex work or whatever. And they're like, oh, they're just a whore. It's just like in the whatever that, that, that video game is where you kill prostitutes or whatever. It's, oh, they're nothing. It's just, you know, baggage, but really going after Leland,
0: I guess. I, th- I mean I think later on when he's in the car and he gets needled by the detectives a little bit he kind of snaps and kind of reveals that he just kind of hates people and so I don't think he would see the sex worker as anything other than someone who was right so yeah. so i so I don't I don't think he see he, he sees her as having getting any enjoyment from it he just you know as as it says in his many many journals you know what sick, sad puppets we are so you know, he just—he kind of has a, a view of of kind of humanity that is, uh, you know, very low. Um,
2: so this, you know, what I hear, what I hear you saying is that this might just be me trying to make case or trying to make sense of something that doesn't have sense to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and we we finished okay. we finished our set of scenes with a little bit of more character work between uh, you know Mills and Somerset. Uh, where we find out that basically... I mean, something that I feel has been hammered a little bit in the film, which is Somerset is cynical and he's over it all, and Mills is a bit more optimistic, and he doesn't ever see himself becoming as cynical as Somerset. Um, And they just kind of... I mean, it's a nice bit of stuff between Brad Pitt and and Morgan Freeman, um, but I don't know how much this scene really kind of adds to the overall film. Like, it's just a nice bit of them kind of having a discussion about what they feel about their jobs and you know why somerset has basically kind of had enough and you know and was once you know more than happy to do his job but now just kind of gets tired of kind of clearing up the mess basically and, and he's just kind of had enough um and there's a little bit of discussion about how this case kind of it doesn't feel like it's going to end that quickly it's you know something that's kind of carried over into the into the next kind of um, few scenes there's a feeling from both of them that this even if this even if this finishes even if he you know kills all seven this this thing is still going to go on it's still going to get a notoriety it's still going to be talked about um which is i guess a kind of commentary on um you know the kind of the standing that serial killers seem to have in american society of you know like even once they finish killing people people still discuss them for years and years and years and years and you know at a certain point it does get a little bit tedious um you know like how many more films do we need to see of uh, the manson family killing people basically you know um but I, even in the mid 90s this was a thing that was kind of starting to get a bit tiresome uh so 20 something years later um you know the idea that um you, you know police officers kind of are the, the least important part of like the serial killing kind of um film is kind of interesting and how you know Mills is still kind of optimistic he He still thinks you know that maybe the world is a good place, um, and Somerset obviously uh, later on he'll express that he kind of agrees with that, but you know, maybe not worth saving
2: this uh This conversation that they have is just so nineties. <laughs> it's just so our attitude in the nineties Yeah, you know they don't they don't see any future, even Mills doesn't really see any future. He's trying to do the good fight. Yeah. He's trying to stay in there and, and go black and white, but you know in his heart that's not what's going on. He lives in a crappy apartment. He's you know, he can't he can't answer Somerset when he says where's the victory? If they catch the man and he is literally Satan. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm just kind of listening. Yeah, I to me it just I, I agree. I don't really know exactly why it was really a scene in this in this film? It didn't really add very much. Um, and I went back into the script and, and read, and was kind of like, I I still don't really get it. I still, you know, just or the idea right they were saying about you know if he's you know I don't care if he's Satan or he's a human being and he's, it, it just. To, I mean to I mean, to me, how do you even make that distinction? I mean, because I know sometimes with serial killers we're all like, Oh my God he's you know he's the devil or a rapist, oh he's the devil, you know, kind of kind of idea, so it's just a really strange conversation
2: oh i don't I don't know if I agree with that. this scene sets up this scene as much as it as much as it can because I mean the script is very well not the script, the movie is very very economical it is a scene where we get to see that Mills um, <clears throat> is a good guy and believes in black and white. So that it kind of sets him up for the fall later. It makes it, later on when he decides to become Wrath, it makes it more shocking to me that that this conversation exists shortly prior. You know, it's within, it's in with what, 20 minutes of the ending at this point? I don't really know, but... It's it's close enough for our human brains to still have this in our mind a little bit. Um If it seems if it seems like it doesn't belong, then maybe that's just a function of them not playing the scene very strong. But I really like I really like the way this turns you know, turns Mills against Somerset. You know, in all the in all the movies up to this point, all the buddy cop movies, you know, there's the wise old one and, and and the new you know, the new guy and the new guy doesn't typically question the old guy as much as Mills does in this one. Mills is just like, you know, fuck you, you're you're just old and why don't you just go away? <laughs> yeah, they were. I'm gonna stay here qu- I'm gonna I'm gonna fight the good fight.
1: <laughs> they were quick they were quick to hang out. That was that was very interesting. I'm like, I don't know what the dynamic is because it's you know kind of like, Oh, I'm the new guy, fuck you dude. To, you know, oh, come, well, I mean, it was his wife, you know, come over for dinner, and then it was the, the bar, and then it, all these different kind of scenarios,
2: so. That was a really fun part of it for me, because, because on the heels, because this has happened, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, but I'm involved a lot in politics, so we say angry things and then have to turn around ten minutes later, um, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, ah, screw you, you're just you're a jerk and you don't know anything and then the wife yeah. calls
0: and invites him over for dinner and he's just like here here's the phone <laughs> yeah as they're scraping the name off off his door and then you know making making him sit in the corner while Brad Pitt gets to use his old desk yes he gets a phone call and yeah the kind of reluctance of uh, also the fact that when you know when they both you know when he shows up she's like you know t- William, this is David, David, this is... Like, she's introducing them as people rather than as kind of partners. Yeah. Um, Right. Which, you know, obviously feels like something that, you know, the wife in this situation would have to do because they're kind of refusing to talk to each other. Um, And we do see them kind of getting along a bit more, like, you know, in terms of trying to solve the case. Like, they both want to solve the case. This is the thing. You know, once this escalates into a serial killing, you know, they both want to get it solved. It's just Somerset wants to get it solved so he can retire. And Mills wants to get it solved because he sees it as, you know, that's what his, his job is as a police officer is to, like you say, fight the good fight and kind of catch the, the bad guy. Um, you know, whereas Somerset's not... It doesn't seem like Somerset is that concerned about catching John Doe, just like knowing that the seven killings are done with and that the whole thing's over. And, you know, there's kind of talk of the fact that he, you know, he's preaching to them and, you know, he's like, you know, like... he he, he's not really that interested in what John Doe has to preach about you know he just wants to kind of you know if he's going to kill seven people let's get to the end of those seven and let's get this wrapped up and finished so that he can retire Mm. um so it feels a bit more like his motives are cynical whereas like you say Mills is like he wants to solve it because that's what he's meant to do and that's what you know that's what the good person would do and it feels like that's what he's trying to be this is the first
2: time you've seen this movie yeah. How many days? How many days ago? Like yesterday? A month ago?
1: A uh, couple days.
2: <laughs> couple days ago, H- had you heard of this movie prior to this?
1: Um, I heard. I think I think I've heard the name before. I of course I was like, "Is this the What's in the Box movie? Is it?" Okay. <gasps> it is. You know, <laughs> that was definitely my. I mean, I had no. You know, I didn't know what was in the box. I think I saw you know memes at some point on Facebook or something, but um.
2: Which so I think is how got, I even
1: knew of that. So you know,
2: yeah. <laughs> so I've got questions. You you knew about this movie because of the "What's in the Box" meme.
1: Yeah, and I think how, I knew the name. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so as you were watching the movie and and each uh, murder was discovered, did it did it seem to escalate for you, like emotionally? Were you getting more and more into it as the movie went?
1: I mean, obviously, it was it was pretty gross, and I think because I think Gluttony was first, right? I mean, that was, right, papal, right there, that was the, yeah. you know, big gross one, <laughs> you know, out, out the gate there. Um,
2: yeah, right, okay. we had the, uh, we had the, the uh, husband and wife dispute that escalated into murder and then oh, gluttony, man. and then, um...
0: Gluttony, gluttony, greed, um, sloth, lust,
1: right.
0: pride, envy, wrath. Yeah. So as this went, like, yeah. what kind of
2: Alice, what is your normal kind of movie that you like watching?
1: Right, so I am afraid of horror movies. I don't want horror, I don't want slasher, I don't want any of those, you know, kind of things. I thought, oh, well, you know, psychological thriller, fine. I mean, I don't prefer thrillers, I don't prefer action movies. I'm a very comedy, romance, romantic comedy kind of person, but I'm, you know, fairly open. I watch, you know, the Marvel movies and all that stuff, too. So I thought, whatever, like I'll I'll give this a shot, and and it, it's so weird because, I mean, of, of course I wanted to know, kind of, as each murder was happening, like okay, okay, like what's gonna happen? You know, what's obviously I wanted to get to the end and, and, and see you know where this goes, knowing that there will be more murders because there's seven sins. <laughs> um, were yeah. you
2: able to? Ex- were you able to exist in a space in this movie that the end caught you off guard? Or because of the what's in the box meme, were you just not able to experience that as, you know, as when it came out?
1: I didn't know what the ending was going to be. I think I guessed kind of what the ending was going to be. And then I, I, feel, like, I feel like I don't want to, like, spoil it right now. I don't know why. Um, he's
0: oh, 22 years I, old. Well, I, I can tell you this. I,
2: if I feel
1: spoiling it right now. I don't know why. If someone's on
2: the seventh <laughs> episode of a breakdown like this, they've seen it. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I know, I know. No, I just, like, I knew, like, I knew it was gonna be her. I had a feeling that, like, it was gonna be, you know, her head probably in the bottom. Well, I mean, I knew that she was gonna die probably throughout this whole thing. Like, she's, you know, an expendable woman, you know, of course. You know, it was, it was gonna, it was bound to happen. Um,
0: would it, would that- it surprise you to know that, that that the the film was gonna be directed by somebody else? And when that director was on board, they changed the ending completely. And instead of yeah. instead of her being killed, they were going to kill a dog, and that was what's going to be in the I box. Saw,
1: right. I know. Yeah. There was and there was a nod to the dog too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I heard about that, of course, um, and that they like fought for that ending and everything. And I, I mean, I knew obviously that that you know as soon as as I saw like, oh, would he kill a... You know, kill him or not kill him. Of course, he's gonna kill him. Of course, that's still terrifying when he does, even though you know it. Um, you know, but well, what,
2: do know what, as, what do we hate worse? Is what do we hate worse? viewing audience, the dog getting killed or the wife getting killed?
1: That's right. Oh yeah, why well, not? If it was a dog, <laughs> if it was a dog, they'd be tears. No, I mean, yeah, it was super weird. And like, <laughs> oh, it's a dead dog. That was weird. But was that just like out of nowhere? It was like, oh, there's just a dead dog on the way. Oh, that's not my fault. Uh okay. <laughs> Nothing else.
0: Well, I I I think the th- the thing is obviously that's why earlier in the script when you know when he gets home, it, they make a point of showing that he has like a couple of dogs, like that's a kind of setup for that, but obviously, you know, it it doesn't get it doesn't get paid off because, you know, everybody realized that the original ending was the better ending and uh, you know, obviously the I mean I I mean I the thing with the ending is um it it, it the, the script itself was going around for a few years in Hollywood before it got made and it was simply known as the head in a box film that was how everybody could refer to it yeah. so if you were if you were reading scripts in the early 90s you had this ruined for you straight away because everybody just called it by the, the like like that particular scene
2: I've got kind of a I got kind of another sidebar I want to explore this is always just a, a kind of hobby of mine. Alice said something about you know of course it was the expendable woman. Isn't that it's because she's a woman that she's expendable? Let me let me throw this scenario by you. Let's say Mills is uh homosexual and there's a dude at home and it ends up being the dude's head in the box, you know, his, his significant other's head in the box at the end. Isn't it that just the character Mills significant other is expandable and not just because she's a woman? It just happens to be a woman in this case because we didn't have uh, we didn't depict gay relationships in the '90s.
1: I, I mean, may, maybe. I mean, you could say it's a minor character kind of expendableness. I'm sure if it was a, you know, his childhood best friend, maybe. I mean, if it was a gay relationship, then it would be a, you know, probably an example of well, the gay relationship can't survive, you know, kind of trope or whatever. But yeah. But yeah, I, I honestly could see if it was a you know, minor character, his. You know, if it, if it was a someone who has a, a girlfriend, someone who has a wife, someone whose best buddy, you know, has to die, I, I guess I could see that as well.
2: Well, and it sounds like they went through a couple iterations of trying to figure out what would be the most important to him, what would drive him to become Wrath. And they decided that, in fact, it was the woman, his wife, who was the most important thing to him that would drive him to become Wrath.
0: wrath. I think they also added the cherry on top by saying... And she was pregnant. And Mills doesn't know. And she was pregnant. That's that's the extra that's the extra thing that kind of pushes him over the edge a little bit at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it was gender flip, then obviously it would end up being, you know, falling to kill your gaze trope. Um, but funnily enough, in horror, um, there is a trope which is called the Expendable Male, which is why the final girl exists. So generally in horror right. films, men don't survive to the end. So this is this is kind of a weird inversion. If this is a horror film, which I don't think it is a horror film, I think it's you know I think it's a thriller. Uh, anyway, I feel like we've covered about as much as we can about these scenes. So uh, let's go to any plugs that you have, Alice. Is there anything that you wish to plug at this time?
1: Well, I'll, I'll plug my, my my Facebook, I guess first of all. So Alice Lauren, um, just if you're gonna add me, please message me so I'm not like. Who the heck are you? Uh, <laughs> my my Twitter is uh ali mej a l i m e z h and if you're ever in the New York state area and I'm doing my stand up comedy then come see that as well.
2: Oh, uh you know, I'm encouraging people to come to uh, to kind of a new project I'm working on called The Neuromancer Minute. It's a uh, I'm breaking down the the audiobook Neuromancer one minute at a time. If you're listening to this and you've read the book Uh, I would love to chat with you about a minute of that book. The Neuromancer Minute, hit me up.
0: And you can hear me previously on a podcast that I did called I've Made a Huge Mistake, which covers every single episode of Arrested Development. I've done all the way up to season four. I have yet to cover season five, though I will be doing that later on this year. Um, The title of the podcast, I feel, is now becoming more of a description of me trying to cover every episode of Arrested Development uh, more than just...
1: I've always wanted to see Arrested Development! (laughs)
0: The the final two seasons have been a bit more of a chore to get through than the first three were, so Um, you can find that everywhere on various podcatchers and the like, um, and I think it's a huge mistake pod on Twitter. Uh, Thanks for being my guests today, uh, Alice and Curtis. Of course,
1: thank you for having me.
0: Hey, it was a pleasure being on. And otherwise...